Check it out. Welcome to Top of the Class. Hear from education experts and get insights from high achievers to learn how you can do the same. Get into those top schools. Ready? Proudly presented by Crimson Education, the world's leader in university admission support. Hey, Carlos, welcome to the Top of the Class podcast. It is fantastic to have you on. And uh, yeah, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Alex. So a little bit about me for the audience. I'm Carlos, 16 years old, first year innovator at the Knowledge Society, which is a global accelerator. I'm specifically interested in nanotechnology and material science. And my purpose with these two technologies is how can we solve climate change and space exploration? Since those are the two sectors, in my opinion, that are going to have the most impact of civilization in the upcoming 20, 30 years. Give us some of the latest and greatest things that are coming out of nanotechnology that we should be aware of. So for me, nanotechnology, I think the two biggest sectors that are already blowing up is nanomedicine, nanorobotics, and nanomaterials. So nanomedicine and nanorobotics is a combination of the two. With nanomedicine, we are using nanoparticles, which are basically like at the size of atoms. And we're trying to use them to deliver medicine, specifically like medicine to target uh, cancer cells. Uh, much more effectively because with normal with normal doses of chemotherapy and radiation, we will still have some leftover cancer cells waiting there um, in order to grow again. And we have to do more chemotherapy, but if we can deliver the medicine directly to the cancer cells, we have a higher chance of killing them and being able to sort of um, just end the repetition of the mm-hmm. cycling of having to get chemotherapy. Nanomaterials, on the other hand, they can they are starting to emerge in many different combinations of properties. Um, I guess I should also highlight out for those who don't know what nanotechnology is. It's basically the manipulation of atoms and molecules at the nanoscale, or basically one billionth of a meter. For those who need a little bit of help visualizing that, let's just hold like a marble in my hand. So basically the earth would be one meter and the marble would be one nanometer. So that's Mm. how small we're talking about. And for nanomaterials, what that basically is, is just manipulating the properties or manipulating the atoms and molecules in a material to get entirely different structures like graphene, which is just basically an entire sheet of carbon atoms with a thickness of one atom. That is the most conductive material. You may have heard of graphene before, but it's yes. starting to, yeah. So it's definitely starting to get a lot more hype because like we are able to oxidize it or we're able to dope many different properties and being able to have a more, more range of application, which a lot of us seek to have, which is how many How many applications can we have for just one material? Right. I want to know from your side, when you get told, hey, look, Carlos, we're looking to solve some of the world's biggest problems, go out and do your thing. What made you think, hey, nanotechnology is one of those ways in which the world's biggest problems could be solved? Definitely. So I actually didn't think nanotechnology would be the the original way to solve it. I actually thought it would be space technology because for me i always loved space and i always i always wanted to know like why why are the stars made out of these specific type of atoms these molecules and why why do they shine how can we get up there although when i realized it when i understood more more what the stars are made of is just chemistry however materials is also made out of chemistry and nanotechnology is just basically saying i want to manipulate or just change the way um the atoms and molecules are rearranged to give them certain properties and more applications so when I put that together, I realized, huh, so if we, can, if we can manipulate atoms and molecules to our advantage, then we basically can change the whole world because the whole world is made out of, well, atoms and molecules that we call materials, like the phone that I'm using to, to talk to you. 
or the computer that we all use in the morning to get to a school or to work. So I think for me, that's that's when I realized, okay, this has a lot of potential. We just need to tap into nanotechnology into new ways that we haven't thought of, um, especially for like the younger generations. The older generation has done a lot of work to get us to this point. Now it's just the it's just for us to see, is there a new derivative or a new way we can apply nanotech in a way that we haven't thought of? Yeah, fantastic. Now, one of the things I think would be a bit of a challenge is if you're a high school student with probably limited access to you know labs that are able to look at things at nanotechnology size, right? So I'm saying that's like pretty powerful microscopes that are working on some of these problems involving nanotech. Are you able to access labs like that or are you going to universities or are you just doing this all remotely on computers using other people's research? So currently for COVID, that's a, that's already been a restriction guaranteed. We're starting to open up. However, we're not at the pace that we need it in order for me to be able to get into labs and universities. However, I, I, don't, I do not have access to the labs or universities, but what I do have is a network that can help me reach out to smart people who have access to these labs and universities, and I can ask I can ask them questions about it. So one thing I would highly recommend for anyone who doesn't have access to a certain thing is develop the network and develop the connections or the people that you want to be with. So let's say you want to get into a lab with, let's say, a scanning electron microscope. Well, you're not going to go to the architect and say, hey, can I, can I go, can I get into a lab? Well, he doesn't know. He probably might not know what a scanning electron microscope even is. Hmm. You have to make sure you reach out to the right people. So yeah, that's the thing is just make sure you have built the right network of people that you want to get access to. So for me, because I'm restricted there, what I've done is just use research from online. And the sources that I use is, um, is this uh, website called SciHub, which basically you can, you can take the DOI or basically the research paper domain and put it into SciHub and it will give you the research paper for, for absolutely nothing because sometimes you have to pay for research papers. Yeah. So I guess you'd call it like illegal stealing, but like knowledge should be free. It shouldn't be hidden away. So for me, like th- this is okay. I don't, I don't see anything wrong with, you know, taking links and, and just applying it to for, for your own benefit. Right. Well, I'll, I'll stay away from the uh, moral objections that people might have to that one, but I'm sure like they would appreciate people being interested in their research all the same. Now, one thing I am interested in how you've approached your learning of nanomaterials and nanoscience in general, and following you on LinkedIn and being connected with you on LinkedIn, I've seen your 100 nano stories, stories pop up on a fairly regular basis. And I think that's a, an interesting project that you've undertaken. How far in are you in the 100 nano stories? So I actually completed it about a week and a half ago. I am going back and editing them because I don't want to uh, leave the readers confused or just having to go process all this complicated information. As I mentioned earlier, knowledge should be free, but it also shouldn't be encoded with like technical terms and mathematics. Although it is good to understand the mathematics, you shouldn't have to confuse the reader saying, okay, what should I really, what should I remember? Like when the article's over, once you finish reading it, mm-hmm. should I remember by how hard it was to explain it? Or do you want to get out the main points that the reader was trying to tell? So the reason why out of, instead of building a project or maybe creating something, the reason why I chose the book is because for me, the best way to, uh, to master something is to teach it according to Richard Feynman. So for me is as I'm learning about nanotech and nanomaterials, why not share it? Why not share the knowledge? There's nothing wrong with it. But also, it teaches you also, how do I explain things? Do I really know my stuff? And then that way you can reiterate 
and improve yourself as you go along the journey. So that's that's what I do with the nano stories as a digital book. Okay. I think it's a really interesting project. And I think it's a really, well, you say it's not a project. I think in, in a sense, it is and it isn't. But I think it's a great way to deeply learn about something when you are, you know, in your teenage years and you are pushing yourself to go really into this area of knowledge that you might not really know much about in the first place. So talk me through that hundred stories journey in like how you found what to write about and like how you feel you have personally progressed in the area of nanotechnology from like your first story to now a week and a half ago finishing your your hundredth. So I guess I'll start a little bit more on, I guess, on like the structure or um, how I decide to write, I guess, um, in terms of building the nano stories. So the first thing that I did was I realized, okay, if you're going to write, if like for me, when I was starting to write this, I realized that there are, there are more people who don't understand nanotechnology or even or even if nanotechnology will harm them over the actual scientists and researchers who are working in the field. So it's going to be more, right, it's more simple writing than actual technical writing, because if I go technical, that's not the audience that I wanted to target. And the second thing was to hold engagement, because there there is no point in creating this if I can't hold engagement. So each sentence has to follow the previous one. If not, you just lost your reader. and you, they lost interest. And also, as I noticed, I noticed my progress because I used less jokes, like use less jokes, a little less humor in um, as I progressed through the nanosaurs, because obviously I was focusing more on the engagement, but I realized I wasn't actually explaining. I mean, it was just more on an overview of nanotechnology, nanomaterials, but I realized I wasn't going anywhere. So I had to realize, like, what are the fundamentals of the materials that I want to talk about? And that's when I looked more towards the organic chemistry, the mathematics, the physics behind these materials. And that's when I realized, okay, so that's why if you pair this chemical with this chemical, this is the reaction. I only talked about what the reaction is, but not how it works. So as I progressed and progressed, I was explaining things more, although using less jokes, but I had to remind myself, be formal, but be engaging. So I think yeah. that's, um, that's what I noticed as I progressed um, throughout the series. Although... From the feedback I got, a lot of people like the version of like the version when I started versus when I finished, probably because like it just was a little bit more humorous and it felt like as if a as if a kid was saying it rather than like someone who's starting to progress and progress towards it. But I think I'll keep that into consideration when I when I write probably um future articles or just like any content that comes up. Yeah, no, that's interesting because you're also progressing as a writer through this journey as well. You're not just progressing as a researcher. And so your writing style, you got to keep tabs on that and all those kinds of things. But one thing that I like about this approach is, and I've heard this said before, that if you're wanting to write a book, write a blog and then write, you know, 30, 40 blogs and put them together and you pretty much have the bulk of a book, which is exactly what you've done, right? Like you've written 100 nano stories and now you're saying, well, okay, physical version is coming out soon. So at this stage now, you're, as you say, going through editing, trying to compile it all into something that makes sense in terms of like how you can get a reader to progress from where you were, which is very new to nanotech, to the ending of, you know, hopefully being fairly knowledgeable about it and understanding the potential of nanotech. And where does one start when going through a hundred stories and deciding which ones are included and which ones get cut? 
So for me, what I have to realize is I want to introduce the reader with an overview and not immediately go into the details because at least for me, that's that's what happens in most of my classes. We don't really get um, we don't really get an introduction of what we're about to do. We just jump right into it. So for me, what I realize is I have to break this into pieces. So there will be sections for like um, the chemistry. There will be one section for the maths. There will be one section for the physics. Um, and then there will be one section for ethical implications and future applications, and maybe even some current applications. And then the last part will be, can they solve um, the world's, some of the world's uh, biggest problems? But I wouldn't want to uh, try and condense it all. That is the bulk, um, sort of where the content come from. So that's how I would put the book into, into place. Awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a bit of an undertaking, but I'm sure you've uh, you know, certainly laid a very solid foundation through writing all the stories and you'd be aiming to get it into schools and those kinds of things as well. Yes, for me, I would definitely love to see. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be just the book. Um, I guess it'd just be like, you know, sharing the knowledge that um, you might be using in the future because nanotechnology right now, at least for, for most people, is just like, oh, what's that? But maybe in like 40, 50 years from now, we're probably going to have it inside our bodies, um, fighting diseases or just replacing blood cells. So I'd rather have them understand the knowledge now than later, because if they understand, okay, this is what nanotechnology is. This is what it does. This is what it can't do. Can it harm me? And how can we use it? If we can answer all those questions now, not only will they accept it in the future, but they want it because they realize, oh, this is the benefits and this is what how it can help and then probably integrate it into our daily lives. Yeah, well, obviously, there is a lot of misunderstandings at the moment about science and a lot of people objecting to various things going on in the world and in the world of science and vaccines have been the, the current topic of conversation. So, yeah, I mean, it's educating people about what the science is and then hopefully when they have that opportunity, they don't hesitate and, and take advantage of it. For you as a researcher, as someone who has been going deep into this nanotech side of things, what advice would you give to other students who are approaching a new, very big, very complex area of science, or maybe not even an area of science, could be politics, whatever it might be. Like from your experiences, what have you learned that you think other students could learn from? So there are two frameworks that I use. So the first one is what I call is called the four P's. Technically, it's three P's, but the fourth one is kind of like a bonus. But it's like having a purpose. Second P is a plan. And then the third P is a proof. The fourth P is a portfolio. But what I think for anyone who wants to go into it is the first one is what's your purpose? Like, what do you want to do in this specific field? Why do you think it's important? And if you care about it, great. Then that's, then that's specifically what you have in mind. So Let's say if it's to climb Mount Everest, if that's your purpose, okay, um, what's the incentive? Like, why do you want to do this? Is it for your own benefit? Is it a break record? Great. But now that you have identified the purpose, okay, what's your plan to do whatever it is in this specific field? Without a plan, you're going to be like, um, like a headless cockroach. You're just going to be wandering around. You don't even know where to go. So if you have a plan and you take, and you take the biased action to do the plan, then you will have sort of a, sort of a framework to follow. And you can always change the plan, but you have to at least have something. But however, the purpose and the plan doesn't matter if you can't show people that you're actually doing it. Show proof that, okay, if you want to become master in this field or if you want to climb Mount Everest, well, show people that you're progressing. And then once you do have all of that, congratulations, you have that portfolio that you can demonstrate, okay, this is my proof. That's the first framework is first identify the purpose in whatever whatever you're probably doing. But if you're looking to make like impact or something that 
is missing in a field. I guess there's this Venn diagram that I found. I don't remember who made it exactly, but it was sort of identifying, okay, like what are your special skills in a certain field? What motivates you? And also what needs working? And for me, that's what I realized is there are so many people who are innovating, they're researching, they're creating, but not many are actually teaching or explaining these things that we're going to eventually be using in the future. So I said, okay, so my so for my foundation in nanotech, I want to be the one that explains but at the same time, I'm researching and trying to innovate in this nanotech field. But for me, the thing was, I want to explain, I want to be sort of like the teacher, the professor, as the creation of the bulk of the nano stories. Yeah, well, I love your uh, the first framework, the P's one, because it didn't include passion. And I almost thought for certain it would when you said, oh, it's got the three P's with the optional fourth. I'm like, passion's going to be in there. It usually is. <laughs> and you avoided that. I think it was good that you changed that to purpose. I think that makes a lot more sense because it, it's a bit more focused. I always feel like passion is a very vague term. And, you know, it's either do I feel it or do I not? Whereas purpose is like more defined and a little bit more concrete. Uh, so I love that. And I love that framework. I think it's something that I've might even use. I was thinking how that could apply to some of the things that I'm trying to learn. So uh, I'll definitely be taking advantage of that for sure. Now, talk to me about what's next for you. You're, you're looking smart. You've just come from a presentation of some sort. The world is at your feet in the next year or so as you start putting in uni applications. So yeah, talk to me about what's next. So there are two places um, that I want to focus on at least for probably the next six, seven months. Because for me, my mental framework is, okay, the world is starting to open, although it's not open completely. So for me, this is like, you know, my last three, four months to just sort of push the button on my discomfort, uh, my discomfort levels. Um, because like, at least for me, it's, it's kind of like a kind of like a gate. Once the world reopens, the gate to sort of improve yourself and without having that feeling of I'm missing out is over. Um, and that's where like more it's mental concentration comes in in order to give up many things. But for me, this is like the last three, four months. So in these three, four months, what I want to do is focus specifically on climate change since those are, that's one of the two issues that I'm very interested in. Space exploration can wait, but for climate change, I want to look at can adsorption, which is just basically trying to, trying to suck CO2 out of the air with a nanomaterial um, that I've been looking at, which is uh, aerogel, which is the world's lightest solid. And also looking at policy reform in climate change, because I realize it's, we have, we have a lot of politicians, we have a lot of activists. But we don't have a lot of activators that are actually um, sort of getting stuff done. Mm -hmm. And we need more people like that in order to say, okay, we have to push the button. We're not just going to say, oh, this is real. No, let's, it's real. So let's do something about it. So I just applied for an internship. Hopefully, let's see if I get in. And if it is, then I'll be able to work on the policy reform while taking a look and researching a little bit more on um, the nanomaterial aerogel for um, adsorption purposes for carbon dioxide. Awesome. So you've got aerogel on one side, the world's lightest solid, and I know that's a big focus for you as well. And you've just applied for an internship. Where's the internship at? So it's called, uh, this is for now it's online, but it's uh, called the climate crew. So it's basically looking at how can we uh, make policy reform for, um, for climate change purposes. This is something that I really want to do because as much as there is, there's a lot of technology that is going to be implemented to solve climate change, but we just need more activators to actually, okay, we need policy reform in order to get these solutions out there, but also so that we can actually start lowering these carbon emissions once and for all. Because, yes, politicians, activists, yes, we need them, but we need more activators. Let's talk about school, because I think it's worth talking about when you're doing all this other stuff. How are you managing school plus all your other research? 
the biggest tip I would say is um, minimize task switching for the day. So, so this is what I mean. So let's say you have six things to do on your to-do list. Okay, great. So pick the top two things you want to do on that to-do list or the top two things that you have to do for the day and get them done. And let's say they're huge. Let's say they're huge or maybe small tests, but you will have a higher chance of getting them done when you just focus on those two things because there's less mental energy drained from doing a deep grind or just focusing on those two things rather than having this, having to just use a little bit of that mental energy for one of your things on your to-do list and then having to go through the other five. So basically, the less you focus on, the higher chance you will succeed at getting it done for the day. So on some days, I will have a lot of schoolwork. Okay, I'll just focus on schoolwork for that day. But if there isn't schoolwork and there and I can just focus on my stuff, great. And that's what I will focus on for the day or just maybe one or one of two things that I will focus on the day. So for any student listening out there, I would suggest minimize task switching because you will feel less drained mentally and you can actually do a deep grind and actually do some high quality work on whatever you're focusing on. Yeah, well, that is a interesting way of putting it. I think sometimes people go through their work and not realize what is the quality of the work I'm doing? What is the psychology behind my approach here? And I totally agree that if you do minimize task switching, I think some people would say keep task switching because it keeps things fresh, but you don't do any deep work when you're only doing something for 20 minutes, right? Like you gotta, you gotta focus on something for, you know, at least an hour or more before it starts becoming like deep quality work and you actually get something done. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed that you've obviously reflected on that a fair bit. Now let's uh, let's talk about uh, where you intend to go in the future, uh, college-wise, because I know for a fact that Harvard has a dedicated nanotech lab. Is that on the cards at all for you, or where are you thinking? Yeah, good question. So I have heard of um, I have heard of Harvard's nanotech lab. However, I'm focusing more on um, on specific colleges um, like Stanford's X lab. Um, for me, that's very interesting since they just delivered um, they're planning to send graphene aerojo into space to see the conditions under microgravity. So that's very interesting for me. And a couple of other universities I've been looking at is uh, Colorado School of Mines, Rice University. Um, for their material science and nanoengineering, for me that that's uh, stood out to me a lot. Those three, those three colleges have sort of been sort of been like sort of my main priority, or those three colleges really interest me. That might change, and I may add more colleges onto that list or universities to look at. But for me, those are the three that very that interest me a lot at the moment. Yeah, well, it's a very interesting thing that you're talking about universities that might not come to mind, particularly like here in Australia or elsewhere around the world outside of the US. Everyone's pretty aware of the Ivy League and Stanford and MIT, et cetera. But it is very much worth doing that little bit of extra research based on what you're interested in to find colleges that fit that interest. And definitely the Colorado School of Mines and Rice University, two fantastic universities, particularly in the engineering field. So definitely worth discovering a little bit more about that for students who are interested in STEM and science and all these kinds of things, looking outside of your Ivy League, Stanford, MIT, and and looking at some other great universities as well. Now, Carlos, you've given some fantastic advice for students. Is there any other advice that you would give based on your experiences of discovering a whole new field of science uh, that students might be able to tap into? Yes, I guess there is a couple of things. So the first, the first thing that I would definitely say to any kid is no one's born unconventional. Like just because we go on this podcast doesn't mean that we, we were given sort of like this gift or anything like we had to, like we had to work, we had to work from scratch. 
like for me, for me, I didn't even know what the word nanotech is 10 months ago. Okay. So it was just me identifying my purpose. Um, so we're saying, okay, I really want to do this. This sounds something I want to work on. And here I am. Um, so it's just more on just realizing, okay, no one's born unconventional. We all start at the same place. But once you identify your purpose, it becomes a lot easier to sort of have a clearer vision and saying, okay, now I can implement a plan and a proof. Even like if it's for universities, find the purpose. Then finding which college to go becomes a lot easier rather than just having to go through like an entire list. So that's the first thing I would definitely say. The second thing I would definitely say to any student would be, is I wouldn't really focus, don't focus on the science first. It would be focusing on what the people want. Because one thing that I realized in the nano stories is this. I had to focus on who I was going to target, not actually start writing the science. For example, I could go very technical, but who is going to read something that's encrypted with like so many, so many diagrams and with a lot of math? It's going to be very complicated. So I would definitely, I would definitely say focus on, on the people that you're trying to target the audience. That way you understand, okay, what, what are their incentives? What do they want? And then proposing a solution um, to this problem is going to become a lot easier. Because if you just focus on the science, great, you may come up with something innovative, but what if it doesn't fit uh, their needs or purposes? Then your solution is kind of worthless to you. I yeah. think that's definitely one thing I would definitely recommend is first the people, then science. Yeah, well, it's, it's like a, you know, from a marketing perspective, right? Like no matter what your product is, you have to think about what your audience is first and say, okay, how do we understand the needs of the audience and what do they want from us? And then try and adapt the message to fit that. But yeah, it's been awesome having you on the show, Carlos, and it's fantastic to get some insights into nanotech and all the great things that you're doing there. I think it's a really innovative approach that you're using to learning about a really in-depth area and you know you are the explainer and the teacher of of nanotech through the 100 nano stories so if students are interested in having a read of some of your nano stories would that be linkedin the best place to go for that and connect with you on there definitely linkedin or or my twitter i'm pretty pretty active on twitter trying to explain concepts i'm trying to reach a larger audience but definitely linkedin would be the best way to connect with me and i can share the link to the digital book Yeah, I can uh, put the links in the show notes there for your LinkedIn and your Twitter and people can connect with you from around the world, which I think would be pretty cool. Uh, But yeah, Carlos, thanks again for coming on to the top of the class and sharing your insights and wisdom. And I look forward to sharing the episode far and wide. Thank you so much, Alex. Thanks for listening to Top of the Class. Subscribe for future episodes. For show notes and to plan your best future, head to crimsoneducation.org. 